good to see you. Welcome to worship. I love the story that Stephen Covey tells uh, about teaching his son how to mow the grass uh, when he was a teenager. And uh, I don't know, some of us are a little more, what's the word, particular when it comes to our lawns. Um, you maybe know somebody like that. I said that at 815 and some wife just like snapped her head and looked at her husband. Uh, some of you are a little more particular than others. I'm not a particular uh, guy with my grass, but some of you are, and there's the, we, we love you. Uh, and Stephen Covey's apparently a little more particular with his grass. But he felt the responsibility uh, to teach his son responsibility, and so uh, gave him that job, and then cringed as he did it wrong. And, uh, and, and got really frustrated and tried to tweak and try to tell him and try to instruct him, and it just wasn't working. He wasn't doing it in time. He wasn't doing it right. And uh, finally, it came to a, like an internal kind of point of, of boiling, and he was about to just tear into it to him and, and, and tell him what he needed to do, and a little indicator light went off, and, and a little, little point of pause, and then this message that he heard uh, speaking to himself, remember, you're growing a man, not grass. And that, that shift, that tweak in our journey in life is what I want to talk about today. That, that challenge that we all have to go through the journey of life and keep our perspective of what the main thing is and, and, and how we ultimately get there. We've been talking about our life and our journey with God as a, 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 as a journey, as a process. That we really understand God's saving work in, in us that way. It is not just a one-time thing, thing and then it's over. It is a process by which God kind of works in every situation in all kinds of ways uh, to, to shape us. And that we're shaped in, in the process of living, in fo following Jesus, and that there are some predictable parts to that. So each of our, our stories is different, but there are some predictable parts. And throughout the last month or so, we've been talking about those predictable parts. When we've done it, through uh, the, looking at people's stories in, in Scripture. And what I've uh, been surprised about in this series is that people have come to me and said, okay, so we talked about Moses the first week and his encounter with God, and we all have an encounter. And then we talked about Jonah and how we all resist God. And then we talked about Esther and how we all ha are stretched to step up to our moment. And so who's next? I got that question a couple times. Nobody ever remembers a sermon, so I think, like, that's a win, right? It's a little bit of an overstatement, but... Uh, it's a win that we identify with these stories. And uh, so we're going to do that again today. Who, who's next? Who are we going to talk about today in the, in the process of the predictable parts of each of our journeys? And the answer in one sense is you. Like, you're the main character today. But that's been true in this whole series. Uh, but, but that being said, we're going to look at the disciples of Jesus as the final character in this series. Because if you want to think about some, some people, some bodies, some guys who went on a journey, went through a process, an intense process, it was the disciples. They walked alongside Jesus. Jesus walked alongside them uh, in, a, in a process that changed them forever. And so we're going to look at those predictable parts of the journey through the lens of the disciples and then in, in our lives as well, as we've been doing in, in this series and get to the destination, where this thing is headed. The journey is a journey to some place, and we're going to see that today. So in every faith story, there is an encounter with God. We've been saying that. Moses had the burning bush. We have 
different ways of encountering God. The disciples had Jesus walk up to them on, uh, they were just going about their business, doing their jobs. Jesus walk up on the seashore and say, come, follow me. And what we mean by encounter is this, that the start of every spiritual journey is not some existential thing that happens in us. We have questions, we seek God. No, the discovery is that God is seeking us. We don't find God, God finds us. There is an encounter with, with the God who created heavens and earth. And there is an intentionality with that. There is God's initiative in that. And we are drawn into something. That's what we mean by a journey of faith. And so those disciples were called up by Jesus. Jesus walked up to a tax collector stand and put together a group of guys that would never have been together anywhere else and then walked alongside them. Every faith journey has some sort of resistance. Jonah took off the other way when God said he, he had a plan for him, had a task for him. And we all have some element of, maybe it's less dramatic, this ongoing resistance we have with God. We're scared, we're self-focused, we're unsure, we feel inadequate, we think God should do it on our terms. We struggle to know what God is like and, and what, what his ways are. And ultimately we struggle with the challenge just to give over control. I won't ask a show of hands for control issues. I will just lead. I like to call it leadership. I heard recently Mother Teresa said, I belong to Jesus. He must have the right to use me without consulting me. I don't like that, and neither do you, because resistance is a part of every journey. But I think we find some solace in how the disciples respond to Jesus, because there, if you read the Gospels, there is just instance after instance of disciples not getting it. They just, they, they, it's, it's, it's just Jesus kind of grates against every one of their natural instincts. So, for example, they're like shooing the children away from Jesus, right? And Jesus is like, oh my gosh, no, let the little children come to me. It's, bring them this way. Or uh, Jesus is teaching, and the disciples are kind of lurking around the edges. There's a big crowd, and they're, they're getting nervous because they don't have lunch. Jesus is trying to talk about important things, and they're stuck on how we're going to feed all these people. And so they come, and they're like, uh, Jesus, I want to interrupt this holy stuff, and I want you to like, send the people away because they need to eat. And Jesus is like, oh, no, find me some lunch. And they're like, okay, there's this kid that has a little bit of, okay, we can work with this. We think about how Jesus would be telling them what leadership in the kingdom of God looks like and how that we actually gain our lives by losing them. And he turns around and the disciples are trying to figure out who's the, the, the greatest, who's going to sit at the right and the left of Jesus when he comes into his glory. At point after point, they just don't get it. And that's, that's part of the resistance, the internal resistance in each of us. Sometimes it's outright and sometimes we just kind of just don't get it. And so Jesus confronts that and uh, works with them. And ultimately, we know those disciples would betray and deny and leave Jesus. There was a point past which they could not go, and that's part of the story for each of us. Tony Campola tells the story. He was a professor at Eastern University. And one day, a father dragged his student son into Campolo's office and kind of slopped him into the chair and he turns to Tony Campolo and says, this is your fault. And he explained how he, he got him into this, uh, that his son was following Jesus and he was taking it far too seriously. 
He said, these days he's out on the streets in the slums of Philadelphia giving away his money to poor people and spending time with pimps and prostitutes. And the father said, don't get me wrong, Compolo. I don't mind being a Christian up to a point. And of course, we all reach that point. And then Jesus asks us to go past it. And there is resistance in us. And so every faith journey has some element of being stretched. We've talked about that in the story of Esther. And what that stretch is ultimately about is a call up to show up in our lives. I like to say prayer is actually just that. Prayer is just showing up to God, showing up to our own life, showing up for others, to step up into our moment. It's one thing to put our faith in Jesus, and then it freaks us out to know he also puts his faith in us. And so Jesus has to stretch us in every way to rethink pretty much everything. It's not that Jesus has to tweak us around the edges. He has to retool us. He has to teach us what it means to actually be human because we don't know. So he taught the disciples, saying, uh, you've heard this, but I say this. In fact, he began his work with the disciples in, what, in Matthew's Gospel in what we call the Sermon on the Mount. He takes them up on the mountain and says, okay, we're going to just wipe everything clean and let's start over. You've heard it said this, and I'll tell you this. You've heard it said an eye for an eye, but I tell you, when somebody slaps you on the right cheek, give them the left as well. And if someone sues you to take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. You've heard it said, love your neighbor, but hate your enemies. But I'm going to tell you, this is about loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. If you love those who love you, what good is that? That's not what we're doing here. What it means to be human is to do something else. And so the journey with Jesus stretched those disciples. And not just in his teaching. And it stretches us, not just in his teaching, but then in the practical application. As we just go about life, there's an element to life that's going to stretch us. It would be easier, not, I said this a couple weeks ago, it would be easier if we didn't have to care about anybody else as we did this. But what Jesus calls us to is something in which uh, th th that is actually brought to the forefront, that our love of God and love of neighbor is what drives us. And so this has been a stretching time. We've, we've all kind of experienced this in some way. And, and today I just want to remind you that all of that stretching in your life has a purpose, that God can use it. In fact, in our life together, I, th I thought through the Broadway story, and there were times where we were being stretched and it was to, to get us to someplace else. Like, for example, when we were a church of about 200 people and we didn't quite know how to be more inviting and more welcoming, that we kind of felt like we were being called to love our neighbors and to serve children, but we didn't know what to do. So there's a, a committee, uh, a welcoming committee that was formed. Don't you love that? Like when churches do that, like, okay, well, we'll the answer to everything is a committee. And um, they got together and they thought, how do we become more welcoming? as a church, and their, their first idea was to redo the landscaping outside our sanctuary. This was before the Welcome Center was built on our sanctuary. It was before, th this was parking lot right here, before all of us, most of us, not all of us, but most of us were invited into this thing. And we were invited into this thing because um, someone on that committee uh, said, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna do landscaping out at the front of the church. But we, but we have this DNA to be like a very welcoming church. And so she, was, uh, she woke up in the middle of the night 
with this realization. And she turned to God in prayer and said, Dear Lord, it's more than shrubs, isn't it? And um, here we are, right? I think about the early learning center. We, had, uh, we have 200 kids. Uh, and the, it's the heartbeat of our uh, church in the weekend, and we, day in, day out, week in, week out with these children that we serve. And it's, 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 a, it's an amazing thing. It's hard to imagine Broadway without the ELC. Uh, but that was not a given when we started. Uh, in fact, um, someone came up with the idea and we had our administrative board, again, uh, who comes up with these terms. We call it church council now. Uh, and we talk about discernment and seeing God's will. But, you know, uh, uh, the board or, or those settings can be sort of like not maybe the most creative, generative spaces at times. And so uh, somebody came up with this idea to do a, a mom's day out to serve moms and children and parents day out. And um, the way that I wasn't there, but the way the story is described is that as they went around the table, each person got to speak uh, from, on the administrative board. And um, every person had a good reason why not to do it. Right. As the idea went around, it became clear that this was a worse and worse idea. Until the, at the, around the, the, the circle, the, uh, the way Pastor Rick would describe it is that the idea itself was on life support. But we decided to do it anyway. And in that stretch, we have really been able to change the story of countless children. And so much so that we began to think, what about not just the kids that are going to come here, but the kids that we might serve other places? And the foundry was born. 10, 12, whatever, 15, 14 years ago, on the other side of those doors, right out there in the atrium. Five or six of us uh, were talking about how to have a, a Christ-like presence in the west end of our city. And we wondered what that might look like, that there had been church, Methodist churches there, but not so much now, and what, what do we do? What would that look like? And we began to ask questions, and the preschool was born out of that searching, that stretching. We didn't know and we had to ask, and we had to wrestle. And I remember John David Ryan was on our staff at the, at the time, and he was over kind of some of these community things, and we were trying to just hash it out, and we went to play disc golf. He played disc golf, and felt like that was, you know, God would speak on the disc golf course over at Cariacus, and he did. <laughs> and we were just kind of hashing through it, and, he, and, and we came to the realization that there would be children born in the west end of our city who had tremendous gifts but because of where they were born, we would consider them average when they could be extraordinary. And it took a while to get to that, that stretch up, that grander vision that we need to serve those potential leaders who in 20 years, we may not even see it happen, but, it, but by the way we act now in 20 years, in 30 years, they're going to be leaders in our city and leaders for their own community. There was a moment in that stretch where we realized that there was a gap with three-year-old preschool specifically. And you see how this process, it took us three or four years to get here. That if we got in there with kids younger and younger, we could influence them sooner and sooner. And so in that stretch, we grew. I think there is good news in the journey where it might feel like the middle parts and the resistance and the stretch, it's just all hard all the time. And it is and it isn't because the stretch leads somewhere and it leads us to the final part of the journey which we call the grander vision it is the reminder that we're here not to grow grass but to grow people in in the terms of discipleship it is jesus taking ordinary fishermen who thought of themselves one way and then said 
you were the light of the world. Can you imagine those stinky guys with fish guts on them going, light of the world, hmm, it's not how I thought of myself. Jesus took these men and women on this incredible journey that helped them see their world and themselves differently. And that's why he taught them and us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is a longing for something else that we can't see. The journey with the disciples in Matthew begins in the Sermon on the Mount. And then it ends here in the, the, the passage that we heard this morning, back up on the mountain after Jesus has gone through the journey, after he has died and been raised and then appeared to them. At the end of the journey, they're back on the mountain the resurrected Jesus meets them and he gives, again gives them a sermon on the mount, but this time they're going to be the sermon. They would be the living reminders of Jesus. He would set into motion a process by which this would, journey would be replicated again and again and again. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Bat teaching and baptizing and truly, I'm with you always to the ends of the earth. Can you imagine? Can you imagine them getting that message at the start of the journey? They just couldn't have, they couldn't have fathomed what they were being tasked with, with uh, and, and couldn't have fathomed what they were being asked to do. How many of you have seen the new Top Gun movie, by the way? Um, a lot of us, right? And my favorite line from the movie, maybe yours as well, is near the beginning when uh, Tom Cruise, kind of to establish the storyline that he's going to push the limits, uh, is up in that jet and, and is uh, pushing the speed until he blows up this billion-dollar plane. And he's out in the middle of the desert, and, he, and you don't know whether he survived or not. And then the next scene is him in all his flight gear, covered in dust, in the middle of nowhere, trying to figure out where he is. And he looks like an alien. And um, so he walks into this diner, and he's going up to figure out where he is, and, and of course goes to the bar and says, where am I? And then there's this little kid who's looking up in, in wonder, breathless, and answer the question, answers the question, where am I? And he, with the response, one word, earth. <laughs> well, the disciples were right back where they started, earth. And in a sense, nothing in the world had changed. But in a sense, everything had changed because it had happened inside of them. All of the encounter and all of the resistance and all of the stretch had, had gotten them someplace. And that's how it works. That internal transformation is the real journey. What is the grander vision? What is the destination? It is you. It is me. In fact, it is, they are so different that Jesus can now turn to them and say, take it over. It's yours. All authority in heaven and on earth have been earned through the story. He is the king of heaven and earth and has gone, as Martha said already this morning, to be seated at the right hand of God as the king of heaven and earth. And we look at the world now and say, like, really? Is that, is that the way it really is? Because it doesn't look like it. It doesn't look like things on earth have changed. The reminder is that maybe not, but we have. In fact, Jesus is the first one, Scripture says, 
the first to go all the way through the journey, first to go through the process, the firstborn of all creation. And then he turns in the Great Commission, turns to the disciples and said, all right, you're next. And then disciple after disciple turn to one another and say, you're next. The, the process of making disciples is about replicating what Jesus did with those first disciples. That's what we're still playing out. It is going to one another and teaching us what it means to really be human when we don't know, we don't get it. We have to hear, you've heard it said this, but we say this. And we have to go through the, the resistance and the stretching so that we can get to a grander vision. People are puzzled by the claim that Jesus is already ruling the world, but the truth is, he is. And he's handing the reins to us. Go make disciples of all nations. It literally means they're the Gentiles. Go make disciples of the Gentiles. Up to this point in Matthew's gospel, Jesus has told them to keep it within the family. But at, at this moment, the, the restraints are gone. And it's now for everyone to be included. Teaching them what it means to be human because they haven't been on the journey. So take them on the journey. Teach them and baptize them. Because baptism is the sign of that journey. It is dying with Christ as we go under the water and then being raised with Christ into new life, new purpose, new identity. I baptized all three of my children, two of them in this room, um, when we looked that way, uh, when that was the front of the room. But, but Luke, when he was, I don't know, seven or eight, at the Greenwood campus. And for years at our Greenwood campus, we baptized people through immersion when we did immersion baptisms in a cattle trough. How many of you have seen the cattle trough? Yeah. Um, two weeks ago, somebody stole it. Yeah, it's like, it was shocking, right? But I'm going to, like, here's the grace in it. I don't think they knew it was a, a, a baptismal, right? <laughs> Nobody goes to, out to steal a baptismal. Cattle trough, maybe. Some, you know, there's cows drinking holy water somewhere, probably. <laughs> Imagine getting to heaven, and uh, St. Peter's like, we're going to let you in, but did you know you stole a baptismal? And we're like, no, I didn't. Uh, when I baptized my son Luke, my son Isaac was probably four or five, and he watched it, and um, he told me later, like, yeah, I'm not doing that. Oh my gosh, I failed as a parent, as a pastor. He's against it, and he's like, expected this when he was a teenager, but he's five. And I said, why? He goes, uh, because you held Luke under the water. And maybe I did, just a little bit longer than I should have. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but eventually, eventually Isaac was baptized, and Sarah Grace were on the same day. And that's, there is an element of dying to Christ, uh, with Christ so that we can we raise with him as well. Part of this is that we're, we participate in the story with Jesus, and baptism is our symbol of that. So you've no, maybe noticed the, the bowls of water this morning. Uh, we're holding up baptism as our reminder of that grander vision uh, that we're given by Jesus. Uh, you know, in the church we have two sacraments. In the Methodist church we consider uh, that there are two. One is communion. We're going to do that next week. And uh, communion is sort of our ongoing um, way of sustaining our life with God, way of keeping, up, keeping us in the journey as we go. It is our sustaining sacrament. But someone has said that baptism is our launching sacrament. 
It is our commissioning into the story. It is our call up to the grander vision. The, the, the reminder that we are brought out of one life and into another of what it really means to be human on a journey with Jesus. And so in a minute, we're going to remember the power of that symbol. Uh, this is not uh, a baptism moment. We're not baptizing anybody today. So if you've already been baptized, this is not rebaptism. There is a cute video, by the way, of a little boy who baptizes himself. We're not doing that today, but um, you may have seen it. There's, it's an African-American church, and they're standing in the waters, and the pastor just kind of keeps going on and on. And finally, the little boy's like, I'll do it, and throws himself back. <laughs> this is not what we're doing today. This is not, we don't rebaptize. If you've been baptized already, this is a way to claim the power of that symbol, to feel the water. If you haven't been baptized, that is a way, not a way for you to have to sit there awkwardly and not do something. This is a way for you to also claim the power of that symbol. We're not baptizing you today. But you might think about what it would mean to be baptized and to, to get a foretaste of it. Because in baptism, what we do is we symbolize the story, the whole thing, and call us up to that grander vision to remind ourselves that, that we are called up in the same way that, that, that Jesus was and have been given a commission. So maybe the most surprising part of that scripture that we heard this morning is that the end of the journey is actually the start of another journey, that it, it gets repeated again and again. Jesus is actually not preparing to leave them. He's preparing to be with them always to the very end of the age, Matthew says. And that word age is symbolic. It's not really so much about time. It is about a, a time that is to come when things are different. When Jesus, who is Lord of heaven and earth, brings the creation into its consummation restores and redeems every single thing, every single person. It is a way for us to be called up and commissioned and then longing for and hope that thing that is for that thing that is to come. That's what we mean by a grander vision. It is the ultimate fulfillment of God's goal in this world and why Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. The end of the age is when we get to stop praying that prayer. Let me read to you what N.T. Wright says. There will come a time when God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Because heaven and earth have been joined together in the new creation. When God's kingdom established by Jesus in his death and resurrection is finally conquered. And all of his enemies overcome when divine love in line with the ancient hopes of Israel is now the central intention of Jesus and the reality of earth. As God's name is honored, hallowed, hallowed, exalted, and celebrated through the whole world. And then he says this, every time we say the words of the Lord's Prayer, every time we say our Father, we are pleading for that day to be soon. And we are pledging ourselves to bring it closer. So today we are invited into that grander vision. We're going to remember that through the commissioning of Jesus, through remembering baptism. And in a moment we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together. And then 
you'll be invited up just as you feel led to come and to dip your hand in the water. And that's, that's all it is. It's, it's just a reminder. It's a, it's a symbol. But as we talked, we got to thinking about how many of us have been stretched. That we all hear this commissioning uh, through the lived experience of it not always being easy. And so we brought the rocks. The red rocks are symbols of that. Somebody at 815 was newer said, what, 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 do y'all, what do you Methodists do? Like, well, we make it up sometimes is what we do. And so red is a symbol of the Holy Spirit for us today. And that rock symbolizes maybe something in your life that is not so easy. So as you come up and you dip your fingers in the water, we thought maybe some of you would need to grab hold of a rock. And we have enough for everybody. So if everybody needs to do this, they can. You're going to grab a rock, uh, a marble, and, and, and take it back with you. As a symbol of that challenge, of that stretch, of that thing that is holding you up, but also as a reminder that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to the one who walks beside you. That the Holy Spirit of God is with us to the very end of the age. That the with us God doesn't leave us alone. And that we have his presence and his power. And so um, at the end of our time, we'll pray for anybody who has a red rock. And then you can take that home as a reminder of the presence of Jesus in that situation. And so would we take this time as a time of commissioning, of, of saying yes to the grander vision and our role in it. And uh, we'll do that by praying the Lord's Prayer, a prayer that we will pray in longing and hope until he comes. And then as we finish, just uh, the, the, we'll have a pad playing, the band will come up and do the same thing as you, and then we'll have a song. So take your time to come as you feel led, and let's join in the words on the screen. If you know the Lord's Prayer, you might just close your eyes, and we'll pray it together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Would you come?